all of a sudden we did this very, very long improvisation that without lying at all, it lasted about 12 hours. It was like this military exercise which was formulated and played out perfectly. And you're never allowed to break character. Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema, the podcast from the British Independent Film Awards that folds down the seat, sits back and experiences the cinema that shaped the lives of some very special guests. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader. And as well as looking back at the early tapes from our guests' film going, we want to know what makes their perfect cinema trip too. What's the best cinema they can imagine? And if they could play any film there, what would it be? And crucially, are they bringing any snacks in with them? In this episode, we're chatting to the lovely Daniel Mays. Whether you've seen him in some of the biggest TV shows like Line of Duty or Good Omens, or some of the biggest films like 1917 or Atonement, there's a good chance you've seen his talents at work. And he's currently starring in the comedy cop show Code 404 with longtime pal Stephen Graham, whose friendship we loved chatting to Daniel about. Here he is, Daniel Mays. Daniel Mays, thank you so much for joining us on This Is My Cinema. So for the duration of our chat, this is your cinema. And we love this fairy tale setup that we start all our conversations with. You have a cinema of your choice to show a film of your choice for an evening. Does a film come to mind? Off the top of my head, I would go with Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now. I think I've actually ever seen that movie in a cinema, and that's probably the reason why I've picked it. I mean, I would put that film right up there in at least the top five favourite films of mine. I just think it's that sort of grandiose filmmaking on an absolute epic scale. I mean, you do see films like that nowadays, but I think that just sort of pushed the bar, didn't it? And like he had free reign and a ton of money to go out into the jungle and just wreak havoc, really. But I'm, I, it's one of those films that whenever I watch it, I'm always there on that boat going down that river. And you've obviously got, you know, incredible actors notably obviously like Marlon Brando came in and did that amazing cameo but it's the colours it's the soundtrack it's the stunts in it it's the huge helicopter attack towards the beginning of it and iconic lines it's just that psychedelic trip in in, in sort of madness of warfare and I just think you have to see that on the big screen to really appreciate it even though I don't think I actually have so yeah (laughs) pick a cinema it would most probably be I mean, God, there's loads of cinemas I love going to, but I guess purely from a nostalgic point of view, it would most probably be the Curzon, Soho, because I just seem to attend that cinema the most. Particularly when I was a drama student, I would go there and sit in there on my own quite a lot and uh, watch these amazing films. I remember seeing Dead Man's Shoes there, Shane Meadows' brilliant film. So, yeah, but it would be Apocalypse Now at the Curzon, Soho. They also have a very good bar there. They really do, yeah. Yeah. Could you take us back to when you first saw Apocalypse Now? Because that's almost a classic film of you stay up a bit too late, maybe you're you're maybe a kid or a young adult and you're just completely blown away by what you're seeing because it's completely upending what you expect from cinema. I mean, I was very lucky that I knew what I wanted to do in terms of being an actor from a quite a, a, a young age. And I guess when I became a teenager, I was really getting 
involved in all that independent American cinema. Think of Scorsese and mm. Brian De Palma and all these, you know, and particularly the actors of that time, the De Niro's and the Pacino's and the Gene Hackman's. And I guess, I mean, when you're sort of young and really find an energy with it and an enthusiasm for that type of film, you just sort of throw yourself into it. So, I mean, I must have watched Apocalypse Now on one of those sort of late night, yeah, Channel 4 <laughs> times it was on there. And I just obviously, yeah, stayed up late and things like that. But you're just, your sort of mind is just blown by the sheer sort of epic quality of it, really. I don't know if films are necessarily made like that anymore. It seems to be a different ball game now. It was an absolute attack on the senses. I think that's the reason why I've picked it. So you wanted to be an actor, you said, from a quite young age, and you were already recognising these other actors. So what were you doing? What was it about Pacino, De Niro, Brando, these names we've mentioned, that was attracting you so much as a teenager, thinking that's what I want to do someday? i tell you what, I do, I do really remember, um, I'm a sort of keen artist as well, and I can remember vividly my mum had the dining room table in the kitchen and I would often paint on this dining room table and there would be I'd always I'd always have the television on in the corner and it was a most of all it was a retrospective of uh, De Niro's films and uh, every time it went to the advert break there was this sort of bronze bust of his head as I remember but I was really getting into it and particularly with De Niro because it was like every and I used to paint there every weekend and every Sunday evening there was like taxi driver then it was raging bull and then it was the godfather 2 and it was just absolutely mind-blowing i mean without a doubt it's my favorite actor but from a young teenager starting out it was like it kind of blew my mind that all of these sort of versatile and diverse different characters were coming from one actor and that type of thing has always been the thing that's really in, in you know given me the most enthusiasm in terms of how you approach work you know not necessarily, I wouldn't describe it as a method actor, but the level of concentration and preparation you can put into a role that obviously the likes of the De Niro's and the Pacino's and all those sort of epic heavyweight actors did. That was really enticing to me. Have you ever met Robert De Niro? No, I did go to... Um, uh, Stephen Graham's a very good friend of mine, and obviously Stephen's worked with him on The Irishman. Stephen used to send me WhatsApp pictures of himself on set. <laughs> With, uh, I was going, just trying to style it out. They obviously made Heat together, didn't they? The Michael Mann film, which was another one of my favourite films. But they also made a movie called Righteous Kill. Do you know that film? Mm -hmm. Which uh, wasn't as um, received as well as Heat. But I ended up getting invited to the premiere there. So I was in the audience and they came in and went up on stage and introduced the film. But as of yet, no, I've not met him. So um, work in progress. <laughs> I probably I probably would be a crumbling wreck if I ever got that opportunity, you know. I mean, I know Stephen. I mean, Stephen had to audition for him when he did The Irishman. And um, I remember him telling me he, I think he had to go and it was Martin Scorsese and he had to read in front of De Niro, read with De Niro. Mm. and they did the scene a couple of times and then they said like leave the room and wait outside and he said I was just vaping like really nervous and then after 10 minutes they brought him back in and he sat down and said congratulations Steve you've got the part so he, I think he did a pretty good audition and he was absolutely mega in the film as well I mean yeah. I think he's really standout Stephen in that movie and that's obviously saying something with the acting talent that's involved in it but I actually wanted to see more of 
Tony Pro, Stephen's character, he was that good. I did. Yeah, I did as well. And, and obviously you're working with Stephen at the moment, so it must be really cool to kind of see his career trajectory as well. Yeah, I mean, God, I've known Stephen for such a long time. We worked together years ago on a comedy and then um, we're, we're making this show, Code 404, for Sky. So, But we'd, we were always trying to find something to do with each other and we got on like a house on fire and we sort of stayed in contact. But, I mean, I've been really busy. Stephen's been even busier. And I got approached for that comedy and they said, and I said, you know, like, they wanted to attach my name and then, I said, who are you thinking for the other policeman in it? And they said, it's very early stages. And I just instantly thought Stephen. And then sent it to him. He loved it. I think he'd done so much serious acting. It was good to sort of break out of that and do a bit of comedy again. Because he's he's incredibly funny, as well as scary and brilliant and all those things. But he's uh, an underrated comedy actor as well, I think. Taking you back to the to the early years, presumably, you know, films that De Niro starred in weren't your first experience of good cinema. So what did you no. love when you were younger? What were you desperate to go to the cinema to see? First films I watched in the, in the cinema? Oh, God. Can you remember? Um, <laughs> um, an American Tale about that little mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Now, I remember going to the Odeon Cinema in South Woodford. I can remember seeing a Bond film, A View, View to a Kill, isn't it, with Roger Moore. And uh, Christopher Walken was the baddie yeah. in it with these mm-hmm. with sort of mad peroxide hair and firing this machine gun. And Grace Jones, I remember Grace Jones jumping off the Eiffel Tower or something like that, <laughs> and then the car breaks in half. So that, like films like that, I remember going to see Rocky Four with Ivan Drago, epic Hollywood blockbusters, really. I think that's where I started. Arachnophobia, all these sort of films are now coming back to me. Boxers, spiders and, uh, yeah, 007s. It was sort of big blockbusters like that. I do remember my mum taking me to see Tom Hanks in Philadelphia in South Brookford as well. And I remember being really hip for six with that film and the content of it and how emotionally it moved me. I think that was the first film I saw in the pictures where I really got a sense of the powerful form of film and how how it can really sort of emotionally move you. That was a standout film for me. But um, yeah, I'm thinking of Honey, I Strunk the Kids as well. But that, that's another thing. <laughs> um, but lots of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was... Um, Absolute joy and a treat to go to the to the pictures. Yeah. That was um, part of our upbringing. Yeah, and what a great span of films there to go and see. Yeah, I suppose so far we've mainly spoken about you know the big Hollywood blockbusters. I'm going to count Bond as Hollywood for this. Yeah, um, for, for this description, and then the kind of you know, new Hollywood seventies you know titans like we mentioned at what point did like british actors and films come onto the radar because it went in terms of your on-screen life you've worked with some of the, the best filmmakers and actors in that world but what point did you know that there was a british industry there that pretty much materialized i guess maybe when i was at drama school i mean i was always aware likes of the ken loaches of this world and obviously mike lee like mike lee was someone that i mean i've been very fortunate i've made two films with Mike but long before I got cast in All or Nothing was the first film I made with him I was such a huge fan of his work particularly so the Ken Loaches and the Mike Lees of this world were really prominent in my sort of movie watching I remember seeing Mike's films like 
like naked and and I mean Secrets and Lies was a huge treat to sit through and you know it's packed full of these absolute stalwart British actors that I've then now gone on to to work with the likes of the Jim Broadbents and the Timothy Spalls and Alison Steadman and and all those sorts of people but I guess at drama school also another great British filmmaker was and I've mentioned mentioned him earlier was was Shane Meadows Room for Romeo Brass and I mean I think Dead Man's Shoes is without doubt my favorite of his films I mean Paddy Considine as an actor was someone I really looked up to. I mean, I to me, he was like the British De Niro. I mean, he, he attacked his roles in, with the same vigour and intensity. I mean, his performance in Dead Man's Shoes is just absolutely stellar. So um, he, he's something I'd, someone I'd love to go and I've not worked with Paddy, but I'd love to do something with him because I'm such a fan. But yeah, it's great. And I ended up, I ended up doing two films with Mike Lee. I did... Um, uh, all or nothing, as I mentioned, and then of course a year later I made Vera Drake with him, which was a huge. That was a massive turning point in my career because commercially it, it was, it did so well. It got lots of Oscar nominations and Baftas and all that stuff. But it, it's after that film, the door professionally seemed to open for me. It was just an amazing film to be part of, and and my work with Mike Lee shaped and changed me as an actor without a shadow of a doubt. It was just a phenomenal education from start to finish could you elaborate that a little bit because there's so much written and spoken about mike lee's process and how some actors really come away saying they've changed like you you just mentioned what does he do that educated you it's a, a process of working which is completely and utterly unique to mike lee but once you've gone through that because it's so involved because it's so demanding it's it's so organic in a way that it it can only it can only make you a better actor at the end of it. You try and then apply it to other stuff that you get cast in and, and it somehow it never quite fits. But he has such a unique way of working without getting into the sort of detail of it, really. It, it, it's, it's just hard graft. Everything within that rehearsal process is to get you to a point where you are completely open, ready and have complete ownership of the character that you're going to play. But I mean, one, if you, I mean, for instance, when we did Vera Drake, I had like six months preparation to make that film. So I was doing countless rehearsals with Amelda Staunton and Phil Davis. And we were literally living as that family in the 1950s, eating bread and dripping and talking about what movies we were, you know, passport to Pimlico. And I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, we completely saturated ourselves in the world of, of early 50s London. The thing with Mike is you only ever know what your character knows. So this is, and it would be a case of if I was doing an improvisation with another actor, we would never be able to then sit down the two of us and discuss what we'd just gone through. You would only be able to ever have a debrief with Mike. So you only know what your character knows. And when it came to something like Vera Drake, Imelda Staunton knew from the very beginning of that process that she was a backstreet abortionist, as well as being a loving and you know fun-loving mother and wife and all the rest of it. We had no idea that that was going on. So I rehearsed with the other members of the family for about five months. And then all of a sudden we did this very, very long improvisation that without lying at all, it lasted about 12 hours. In the, We were in character for 12 hours. The whole meat and bones of that film of when the police come knocking on the door, that was investigated initially in a, in a 
in an early improvisation. And there was a whole wing of this hospital that nobody knew anything about, which was the mock-up police station. And all these other actors that were playing the police, Helen Coker and Peter White, they were to enter the building at a different entrance and at a different time. So it was like this military exercise, which was formulated and played out perfectly. But I was literally in character for 12 hours because they took, if you remember that film, she gets taken to the police station and you're never allowed to break character until Mike or one of his assistants tells you to do so. So all the time she was being interrogated, we were back at the flat, just smoking woodbines going, what's going on? Why has our mum oh been taken God. away? And then Phil Davis came back and he sat us down and said, your mum's been helping young girls out. So this whole five months of preparation was blown away. It was just, and I, it was like a physical reaction. It was like my stomach fell away. When you go through that sort of emotion and you investigate a scene like that, when it comes to filming it, you have all of this amazing backstory and, and, and memory to, to use. So it's a really deep-rooted, organic way of working. I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what an incredible, insane process. I mean, well, first of all, how do you how do you leave that behind at the end of either the day or the project? How are you able to shed that? That particular night, we'd finished about half past ten at night. It was pitch black. And then I was living on my own in, in Bucker Steel in Essex. And then Mike said, right, go home. I was in a complete... I think everyone was in a bit of a daze and he said right everyone that's it for the evening go home and then we came back and we and again we just did a debrief one on one mic but it's great because you have to as as much as you're really in it you have to have that sort of acting and going on all the time in terms of the choices that you make in the scene always being true to the character that you're playing the older i've got with acting the easier it is to leave those sort of really intense characters behind I guess life just gets in the way your your wife and your kids and whatever it is you you got going on you know they're the sort of more important things but I think what I learned from Mike more than anything and particularly from Imelda Staunton who was absolutely knockout in the lead role is that you know be really focused and concentrated and creative in the moment in the room and then you know you can afford to then let it go when you're outside of that really that's why I'd never describe myself as a method actor. Do you know what I mean? I think I think he was always clear with us that there is the character and there's the actor, and don't ever confuse those two things. You know what I mean? So it was, it's a very, I think it's a very productive and healthy way of working. I mean, you know, you say they don't make films like Apocalypse Now anymore, and of course, Vera Drake's a very different film to Apocalypse Now. But it feels like that process is, you know, is almost like what the cast and crew went through. Just happened to be a, in a disused hospital in, in in England yeah I think you instinctively know as a performer like if something's going to take a lot out of you or how I mean whatever performance you give it it only boils down to how much that you want to put into it how much are you going to invest in in it you know and if you can recognize it's a quality piece of work and the actors and the director and the crew and you know that everyone's working at the top of their game then that galvanizes you to give it your your absolute very best uh, and I think, you know, you work with with a genius like Mike Lee, and I don't use that term lightly. You know, he demands absolute full concentration and for you to bring your A game. And I think it's only when you work with people like that that, you know, hopefully great cinematic moments 
can happen. I mean, the moment in Vera Drake that always stands out is when the police do come knocking. And there's a phenomenal piece of screen acting from Imelda in, the, in which she knows the game's up. I mean, if you remember that moment, and it, and it just like it's a close up on her face. And it's like, it's like the film stops. It like it goes into freeze frame. But she, it, it's just absolutely meticulous and to the point acting. And yeah, it was just an absolute unforgettable experience to go through. You've got so many credits to your name. And there must be experiences or certain processes that you don't perhaps get on so well with as Mike Lee's process. So what happens if you are in rehearsals and they're just not working for you and it's just not fitting the way that you work? How do you adapt? <laughs> I'm quite easy to get on with. I have a great belief in reading the room. You know, every job you do is not going to be as involved as, say, like a Mike Lee uh, film, for example. Sort of regardless of that, I always believe whatever project that you're on, that you have to wipe the slate clean and come at it afresh. And your relationship with a director is about you being completely free and open and giving yourself over to that person and 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 between the two of you having a dialogue and shaping the the performance. Any director worth their salt, it will always be a two-way thing. It'll always be a collaborative effort. I can kind of count on one hand the experiences I've had maybe with a director in which they do go, right, I want you to do it like this. Stand there. I mean, that that's when... I mean, basically what I'm saying is I, I like dialogue. I like to, to, even if it's... I'm not saying I want to get praised left, right and centre all the time, but I think it's important with all directors to... It's like man management. It's like a football manager, isn't it? Like talking to a young player, putting their arm around them and making sure that they're doing... I mean, some, some directors won't give you anything, won't give you any notes. And for me, I'm like, I must be doing terribly here. Like it's... I'm cast adrift on a raft in the middle of the sea. and But it's what it is, it's like they're really loving what you're doing. And so some, some actors, you know, without being rude, don't want to blow smoke up your ass. But I sort of, I just want to have that dialogue. I want to know if it's working or not, if it's not. Because you're open and free like that with one another and you can make mistakes and you can shape the performance together. It's always a collaborative and really enjoyable experience making making films and tv you know it's it's always that sort of sense of camaraderie which i really feed off i've always had this thing with your performances especially where i mean I, you know i don't know how much this is a compliment or not but i always think of you as being a scene stealer like i always remember your roles in tv whether however big or small they are like you know yeah i just think like ashes to ashes for example kind of like really springs to mind well if i if i did still the scenes playing that character then i must be <laughs> absolutely <laughs> what i do uh, that was a joy to play like, i've interrupted you no but like so much fun like what is the most excited you get when you see a script even if you're not the you, you know necessarily like the main character in it you know, yeah. how do you figure out, actually, this is going to be a really good thing for me? Like Line of Duty as well, for example. Yeah, it's that age-old thing of, like, you know, there are no there are, there are no small roles. Do you know what I mean? I always say to young actors, you can, even if you've got a couple of scenes in something, you know, try and latch on to something which is going to showcase you in, in the thing. It's all about applying your imagination. I think that's the great thing, what I love about acting as a craft is that, it's limitless, really. There's no, there's no real right or wrong way of doing it. 
it's that guttural reaction that you have to a character or how to play a scene or how to deliver a line, you know. I mean, it's, it's lovely that you, you, you've said that. I think I've been very blessed. I've played some very, you mentioned Ashes to Ashes. I've played some great roles over the years, you know what I mean? And, the you know, the, char the character line of duty, Danny Waldron, I mean, you read those sort of parts and you just, know, again, it's like recognising the quality of the writing, how in-depth it is, how brilliantly written it is, how meticulously researched it is, and you sort of just know instinctively in your gut this is an absolute role that you can score in. I love hearing you speak about working with actors from maybe an older generation like Imelda Staunton, but then also your contemporaries, Stephen Graham, etc. But are there any young actors that are also exciting you that you've watched in the last few years that you know they're that you're going to watch them whenever, whatever they do. Yeah, I just popped straight into my head was I had to do a dialect session this morning for something I'm going to do for Amazon. And Natalie, the dialect coach, she said, oh, I, I just did a session yesterday with an actor you work with. And I went, oh, who's that? And she said, George Mackay. I've had the absolute pleasure of working with George twice. First time was on stage the old Vic, when we did The Caretaker together, uh, it was me, George, and brilliant Timothy Spall. And then I had a cough and a spit on 1917. But because um, <laughs> I worked with George before in the theatre and we got on like a house on fire, I mean, he is one of the most impressive younger actors I've, I've had the pleasure to work with. Because not only is his talent absolutely boundless, but he has the work ethic and the personality to back it up. He's one of the nicest kids I've, I've met. It was really funny, actually, because we, um, to tell you a little story, because like I, I feel like he, I'm like his older brother or something, because we had worked together before. And then I just, we had the cast and crew of 1917. This is pre-pandemic when everything was normal. And we had this huge cast and crew at the big Odeon in Leicester Square. It was packed. And I took my, my son Milo and we sat through that first time watching that film, absolutely hit for six by the brilliance of the movie from Sam Mendes. Just, it was so, you felt entrenched in that mission that they were going on. And it was such a visceral experience to watch that film. And then everyone was congratulating each other. And then George swam into my view. And I, I sort of enveloped him in my arms. I got so emotional with him because, I mean, both Dean and both the boys were in it were great. But George really emotionally took me through that film. And I think he has, he has such a sort of capacity for emotion and depth of character that he was tre tremendous young talent yeah so it's always the greatest thing really when you work with up and coming younger actors who really hit it out the park because it, you know it, it's just a wonderful thing because you know that there's there's talent that's coming through all the time and um, I think he's a great example of that. Sounds like 1917 was one of those films that it was incredible to see in a cinema with other people but do you have another moment of an experience in the cinema that you are just so delighted that you saw on the big screen with tons of people? Yes, I do. And I'm, I've just worked with a director called Peter Catania, who is absolutely fantastic. And obviously his big hit was The Full Monty. And I remember being in packed cinema, watching The Full Monty in Essex somewhere. It's a big multiplex thing anyway. But it was packed because obviously that was that that film had mass audience attention, big crowd pleasing film. 
And it's the only time in my cinema going life where, because you obviously have the huge crescendo at the end and they do the strip tease and the hats fly off and it goes to freeze frame uh, with those brilliant actors. And everyone in this audience got up and clapped and gave it a standing ovation, <laughs> which is like, you liken that to when you're in a theatre somewhere. And it's never happened uh, since. It was just a unanimous, everyone got up and started cheering. So that was that's a moment that stands out as well. Why do you think the Full Monty, I mean, you know, for obvious reasons, but why do you think that did connect so deeply with our audience? Well, I mean, I've done like a couple of films in that sort of ilk, really. We did Swimming with Men with Rob Brydon, which was another sort of, you know, underdog story of men together trying to do something extraordinarily different with their lives. I also did Fisherman's Friends, which was another type of those films. I think Peter was going to direct it on stage. But I think the thing about the Bormonsi is it's it's hard. You look and you think it's a bunch of um, still workers to become strippers. But at its heart, it did have some very, very dark themes. And I think that whole comedy is just underpinned with sort of social realism themes. And I think at its heart, it had characters that you absolutely identified with or you rooted for and just absolutely stellar performances as well from Robert Carlyle and and Mark Addy and all the rest of them Leslie Sharp it's just one of those films I mean how amazing for them when it's obviously like a low budget British film and it ends up getting all those awards and I think it was nominated for best picture at the Oscars you know it's just like I mean that's always the gold at the end of the rainbow of all these projects that you jump on board you know you just never know how they're going to get received and whether they go through the roof or not it's just I guess there's always everyone's always searching for that sort of winning golden ticket aren't they and I guess the full Monty was certainly that. Made in Dagnum as well I feel is very much kind of cut from the same cloth and had very much spoke to those themes didn't it? Yes, I guess, I, I mean, I mentioned um, those other films I was in, but certainly Made in Dagnum, I guess you could say, was much more closer to, to the themes of the full Monty, really, than Swimming with Men or, or, or Fisherman's Friends. Because, you know, it's high, it had, you know, the equal rights for women. And, and again, it was just littered with some, you know, God, the late, great Bob Hoskins was in it. I, I just remember hanging out with him on set and having a great time just talking about all these past performances it's, it's kind of weird when you end up working with absolute heroes of yours that you've thrown up watch because you always have to just style it out and play it cool and then you know <laughs> for how the long inside daddy made is going oh my god it's Bob you wake up to my mum um but no made in dagnum was a great project to be involved in yeah great times I suppose to bring it right up to to, the, to today's moment, um, you mentioned working with actors you, you admire and respect. What's it like working with David Thewlis on The Dumb Waiter? Because if you liked Naked, I mean, he's a terrifying in that film. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I know how to act if I ever met him in real life. <laughs> well, the funny thing about David is um, I, I did a couple of projects with Anna Frill, who was obviously married to back in the day, and they have... They have a daughter together, lovely Gracie, who is exactly the same age as my son, our son Milo. So when I first worked with, this is a hilarious story of Anna and I were working, we're doing an episode of Jimmy McGovern's The Street and we were filming in Manchester. And um, David 
Julius, for me, is right up there with one of the best actors this country's ever produced, like a huge acting hero of mine. Ever since I saw him in Naked, I was just like, I mean, I would put that performance up there with the absolute very best. And I, I'd done the read-through of Anna, I'd done some rehearsals. So we were filming and we were both staying in this huge apartment block in Manchester and they were like three floors up. And it was quite late and we were just, we'd been there for a, we'd arrived and then all of a sudden my phone went and it was Anna. And I picked up, I went, hello. And she went, listen, Danny, um, you haven't got any spare nappies, have you? And I was like, what? She went, um, yeah, we've run out of nappies. Have you got a spare one? I went, uh, yeah, yeah, of course you went. She went, great. I'll send David down to collect it. And the phone went dead. <laughs> and, I started, and I just went, <laughs> and I looked at my wife. She went, what's that? And I started pacing around the kitchen. She says, what are you doing? I said, Johnny from Nike is coming down to borrow some nappies. <laughs> 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 I started sweating. I was pacing. I was like, oh, my God, man, be cool, be cool. And then he was on the door, and they'd knock on the door, and then he was just the most self-effacing, lovely guy. And we, we instantly got on, and I gave him the nappies, and we said hello. And so I'd seen him socially a few times, but then, uh, re very recently, we obviously did the dumb waiter together at the Old Vic, which was absolutely short and sweet, but one of the most enjoyable experiences. Because, I mean, I'd not done a play for five years. David hadn't really done a proper play for about 30 He's just an absolute top drawer actor to his very bones. Because immediately, as soon as we said, right, let's read through it on day one, you're like, bang, he was totally there. Unbelievably brilliant. And one of the nicest guys you can ever get to meet and work with. So we had, we had an absolute blast on it, yeah. Have you ever been tempted to do anything behind the scenes? Writing, directing, sound engineering, best boy, anything? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got the discipline to sit down and write. I've tried, not that I've really tried, but I just not, I mean, I'm in awe of any person that can put pen to paper or whatever it is and come up with the goods because they are the that's where it all comes from you know and it's um the first port of call in terms of you know the creative spark i'll be honest with you i'd, I'd love to give directing a go i think i just i, I just need a very good dop to know where <laughs> to put the to put the, the camera like i i can i can imagine myself directing I can imagine myself being very good with the actors. But then the thing about directing is it's not just my experience of them with the actor. It's all the other million and one questions that they have to answer throughout the day from lighting, from costume, the thing. And in actual fact, in hindsight, I'd probably say no. It's a nightmare. I won't, I won't have any part <laughs> to do with it. But um, I'd like to try and do something like that. I'd like to, I'd love to act, as, you know, to my dying days, but um, it would be foolish of me not to try and try something else at least well we'll put the call out for a dop who can help you out yeah yeah there. please do yeah but daniel let's wrap things up by going back to the beginning so you said curzon soho we're watching apocalypse now what an amazing night of the pictures but one last question we have for our guests is what are we eating and drinking of course there's the nice bar at curzon soho as you mentioned but do you like to take food and drink into the cinema yeah, I'm not one of those purists where I, I um, don't take the popcorn in. I, I would have a sweet and sour popcorn mix. What about drinking? Do you take a tap water, something something stronger? I don't normally I don't normally drink alcohol in cinema, no. It'll just be a water. I just keep it. I'd like you know what I mean? I just want to concentrate on the film really. And exactly the sort of film that's gonna take you on a trip, whatever you're eating and drinking. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Daniel, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for speaking with us today. Absolute scream. Thanks for having me on, guys. I've, <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. I've got to say, if I knew that David Thewlis was turning up at my house to steal some nappies i'd be pretty intimidated as well <laughs> I, lo- I love that lifting the curtain and <laughs> sort of seeing behind the scenes of what goes on when you've got a baby absolutely what an amazing bunch of anecdotes uh, daniel shared with us i loved that really deep behind the scenes depiction of how what goes into a mike lee movie as well oh my as, god that oh, was fascinating absolutely as well as this little portrait of his friendship with Stephen Graham. I know that if I had a friend who was making a film with my absolute acting idol, Rob De Niro, and he was sending WhatsApp pictures, <laughs> I'd feel very conflicted, very proud for them but also quite envious. If you enjoyed that chat as much as we clearly did and you want to hear more just like it, head back to our feed to catch up on any episodes of the podcast that you might have missed. Thanks for listening. Bye! This is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. Thank you.